Hi, everybody. It's Jay. I'm the author of Maximize Your Medicare. I'm also the host of the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. The 2016 edition of the book, Maximize Your Medicare, is available pretty much anywhere, including Amazon. You can also order it from your local bookstore. Be sure to like the Maximize Your Medicare page on Facebook. Subscribe to this podcast anywhere that free podcasts are available, including iTunes. Today's podcast is not financial advice. It is also not the offer of any financial instrument, including but not limited to insurance. Comments and information in this podcast are not sanctioned or endorsed by any government agency, including but not limited to Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the CMS. With all of that good stuff out of the way, we begin in five, four, Three, two, one. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. This is Jay. I'm the author of Maximize Your Medicare. The 2016 edition is available pretty much everywhere. Amazon.com, bookstores, libraries, you name it. I've made it available to you. It's May 8th. That makes today's Mother Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, and thank you for everything you've done. Special shout-out to my own mother living in suburban Minneapolis. Love you, Mama. So you may know that this year the Oscars for Best Picture, one of the movies that was nominated, was called The Big Short. Now, The Big Short was written by Michael Lewis, who wrote Moneyball, and you can remember that movie, which was starring Brad Pitt. Uh, It had to do with the statistics and the uh, success of choosing who would be successful baseball players. The Big Short got a lot of notoriety because it was a movie and a book by the same author, and he wrote about the housing crisis. Now, this podcast is not the book review club by any means, but I thought that it did point out a couple of things. First of all, full disclosure is that I would be able to explain and describe all of the instruments inside the big short, inside the movie and the book to the nth detail. I have had firsthand frontline experience in those products or very similar products during the process. And I can tell you that, and yes, I can verify the fact that what occurred in the book did in fact occur and they were factual. The movie did a very nice job of trying to crystallize, explain very complicated financial topics in ways that people could understand. Now you could tell from the intro here, if you're listening carefully, that there is a big however coming and here it is. However, it is a book that takes advantage of our favorite national pastime. And that favorite national pastime is find someone else to blame. To me, the reason that the book was this popular is because it feeds on, it takes advantage of our natural, maybe it's human nature, our propensity, our inclination, our national pastime, which is to find someone else to blame. It couldn't possibly have been us. I'm going to give you two examples that will make it pretty clear. 
there were two scenes in the movie. The first scene was when there was this idea of an exotic dancer, a stripper, who had five mortgages. And the fact that this person had borrowed and bought another house and borrowed and bought another house and done it five times. And so that if there was going to be a problem, that the person, the stripper in this case, was going to default on all five mortgages. Now, that's very convenient, right? Because it depicted the person who was being taken advantage of as a stripper. Now, let's leave our morality to the side, but let's just presume for the moment that the characterization of the person or the people who borrowed the money then were basically strippers. I have news for you. There are not enough exotic dancers to have created the entire housing crisis. The number of persons, the types of people that borrowed more than they could afford was not limited to exotic dancers. That was your neighbor. That was the person with the stable job. It was just a person who borrowed more than they could afford. The movie did a job of saying, okay, well, it's the lenders who were the ones who forced the borrowers to borrow. I find this pretty incredible to believe. Uh, No one held a gun to the borrowers' heads, for example. The example I use in public to my clients when we talk about this is that if you want a purple-pink polka-dotted dress and you're 350 pounds and you're the lender or the store owner and you say, look, you need a black pantsuit, if the person who wanted the, the dress really wanted to get the dress, that person's walking out of the store with the dress. They're not work walking out with the black pantsuit. They're not. Why is this? Because across the street, there's another store, and the store owner there will sell them the dress. Big Short doesn't point this out, right? So anyway, the second point that I want to bring up was the scene with Selma Gomez. So Selma Gomez is sitting there playing blackjack, and then all of a sudden you can see that in the background there are a bunch of people who are betting on whether or not Selma Gomez is going to win the next hand. And of course, it looks like these people are whipped up into a frenzy and the people in the background watching Selma Gomez play blackjack are crazy gamblers. That is totally wrong. Why is that totally wrong? First of all, the backgrounds of those persons who were depicted as if they were gamblers in the big short, those persons were sophisticated institutional investors. Mom and pop could not buy or could not be the better there. That could not be an individual private investor unless that person was worth many millions of dollars. They wouldn't have access to the ability to bet on Selma Gomez. Further, the persons that were betting on Selma Gomez, they also had the free choice to look at other blackjack tables and watch and see what the other tables were doing. In other words, it the movie tried to show that the people gambling on Sel- Selma Gomez were actually somehow under-resourced, 
under-informed and didn't have other choices. None of those were true. Absolutely none. The gamblers there in many times, if I draw the analogy to what actually occurred, those persons actually had more information about the market than Selma Gomez. So while it was very convenient for the book to try to explain very complicated financial matters in terms and in conditions, scenarios that other people could understand, the spin that the book and the movie used totally ignored the fact that the persons involved, there has to be two sides to a conversation. There must be both a buyer and a seller in order for a transaction to occur. Nevertheless, this movie and the book, candidly, tries to present the facts as if one side was forced to buy, that buyer had no free will, that buyer had no other alternative, that buyer could not simply walk away. Now you could ask me, and rightfully so, why in the world is Jay talking about the big short and what does this have to do with Medicare? Well, we're spending lots of time on our favorite national pastime, finding someone to blame, like the government, like the carriers, the doctors, the hospitals, big pharma. Let's look at practical reality. Reality is, is your consumer rights are enormously in your favor under Medicare. You have inside information about your own personal health situation, your family history, your financial downside if you get sick and what could go wrong. That is information where you have the upper hand in every instance and you have consumer rights to protect you. When you first turn 65, you have unlimited choice. Those aspects make Medicare unparalleled in a world of uncertainty where you don't have the information advantage. You don't have transparency as far as the prices available in the marketplace. Now, that's not going to stop you, right? There's always going to be skepticism. That part is understandable. That is human nature, and I get all of that. One time I was speaking at a college and there was a class, people signed up, they came to my presentation, and basically I was telling them under Medigap that the prices could be changed as a result of age, and I said that you know the market was very competitive, meaning that the carriers from carrier one to carrier number three, for example, that it was literally only a few dollars a month. A woman sticks up her hand, she says to me, well, that just is evidence of collusion. My response was, well, actually, the reality is is that there is MLR, which is medical loss ratio, and the companies have to spend at least 80% of total premiums received on claims. It's a perfect example. This woman was under the assumption that someone else is trying to do her wrong. She made that accusation without full information. She made that accusation using the nation's favorite pastime. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or anywhere that you can find free podcasts. And if you have a question, you can send it to me, jae at maximizeyourmedicare.com.
Ooh, I forgot a couple of things. First, thank you so much to the Emory University Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, otherwise known as Ali. I had a very nice time over there last week. This coming week on the 11th, which I believe is Wednesday. Yes, it is Wednesday. I will be in Chicago in the Windy City at Salzer Regional Library, 5 p.m. Thank you so much for listening. Talk with you next time. Mm-hmm.